Hello, Latin 2 from the Church of St. Agnes is back again, and we're venturing into Unit 22 today in the Collins book. Now, as you've noted in the past, I have taken exception on a few occasions with uh, the presentation or the order of presentation uh, that Professor Collins has chosen for his book. And um, I suppose that's my privilege as being the teacher of this class. Uh, I do think there are uh, several times and several issues which could be presented uh, in a different order or in a different way. And today I'm going to, uh, again, um, venture outside the parameters of the particular unit that Collins is presenting to do things in a slightly different way. Uh, if you notice on unit 22, page 183, uh, the first thing that Collins uh, presents in this lesson is the imperfect subjunctive. And indeed, we're going to learn that, but um, I find it the easiest, the easiest way to teach subjunctives to Latin students is first to teach them the formation of all the tenses which are formed quite easily. Their actual formation uh, for subjunctive tenses is quite simple. And then to apply the uses, uh, rather than piecemeal giving you the present, the imperfect, the perfect, the, the pluperfect, and so on. So we did teach you the, the present subjunctive of all, uh, of all conjugations in the lesson in which uh, Collins introduced just the first conjugation. And remember, we did that by giving you the mnemonic device for the vowels of the conjugations from the little phrase, we hear a liar friar. If you will now turn to page 378 in the morphology section of your book, in the back of the book, these are, the, uh, these are the pages which present full declensions and conjugations and so on of all grammatical points. The morphology, in other words, the, the formation of the words. And I'd like you to look at the bottom of page 378 for the verb laudo, laudare, which means, of course, to praise. There you see the heading subjunctive at the bottom, the very bottom of page 378. And... Right now, I'm going to teach you the other three tenses of the subjunctive, how they are formed, because they are formed in a quite simple fashion. And it's easier, I think, to, as I said, present you with their morphology in their entirety, and then we'll go back and add usages rather than doing it in a piecemeal fashion. So uh, we, we already know the present. Remember? Uh, we talked about we hear a liar friar. So E is the four is the vowel that signifies the present subjunctive of the first conjugation, and we see that uh, formula taking the stem loud, add the E, and then your personal endings, be they active or passive, M S T M U S T I S and N T. So we have laudem, laudes, laudet, laudemus, laudetus, laudent. And in the passive, laudere, laudaris, laudetur, laudemur, laudemini, the M is missing there, it's a typo in your book, laudemini and laudentur. 
So you already know that present, and um, today we're going to teach you the other three tenses, the formation of the other three tenses, which is quite simple in Latin. So remember we said that the subjunctive does not have future tenses, so there is no future or future perfect. So our next tense to learn uh, how to form it is the imperfect, and the imperfect uh, is formed, the imperfect subjunctive is formed very simply. You just take what would be the infinitive of that verb, the second principal part, in this case, laudo laudare, and to that you add the endings, either active or passive. And this is true for any conjugation. Go to what would be the second principal part, the infinitive, and add the endings of your verb, MST, M-U-S-T-I-S-N-T, or passive, R-R-I-S-T-O-R, more mini, and N-T-O-R. So take a look on page 379, laudo laudare, all you do is take that infinitive and add M-S-T to it, laudarem, laudares, laudaret, laudaremus, laudaretis, laudarent. In the passive, you just change to the passive endings, laudarer, laudareris, Laudaretur, laudaremur, laudaremini, laudarentur. So there you have it. Very simple formation of the imperfect subjunctive. All conjugations follow the pattern. Take the infinitive, add your endings, active or passive. So that's very simple. Now, as I say, Collins teaches you the imperfect today the imperfect subjunctive, we're going to go on and learn the other two tenses or their formation because, again, they're quite simple. When moving on to the perfect, the perfect active, you see the perfect active subjunctive of laudo looks very familiar to you. Um, and one way to remember the actives is that they look just like the future perfect indicatives except for the first person. First person future uh, perfect is laudavero. But here we have laudaverim. Another way of forming these perfects in the uh, active voice is to take your third principal part, laudo, laudare, laudavi, drop the I, add an infix. That's not a prefix or a suffix, it's an infix, a group of letters that go in between. And that infix is E-R-I, and to that add the endings. Another way of doing it, as I said, is to say, ah, it looks exactly like the future perfect indicative, except for the first person, which here is laudaverim instead of laudavero. So here, laudaverim, laudaveris, laudaverit, laudaverimus, laudaveritis, laudaverit. There you have it. And that is the perfect subjunctive. All perfect subjunctives in all conjugations follow the same pattern. You go to the third, prin third principal part, drop the I, add an E-R-I, and then the endings. Now, that's very straightforward. Another way is, again, I will repeat, it looks just like the future perfect indicative, except in the first person singular which is laudaverim. Now, in the passive, if you'll remember your uh, indicative passive perfects, we take the fourth principal part, 
laudatus aum, and to that we would append the other helping verb, sum ss sumus estes sunt. Well, the subjunctive formation works in the same principle, except instead of using sum ss, sumus estes sunt, which is the indicative of the verb to be, we use the subjunctive of the verb to be. Now, you haven't learned the subjunctive of the verb to be, but it sits here right in front of you on page 379. And instead of having the, um, the sum ss, we have an i in, uh, that characterizes that uh, conjugation, laudato sim. So the verb to be in the subjunctive present is sim sis sit, simus sita sint. And to that, we join it with the fourth principal part, laudato sa um sim. So instead of, as in the indicative, laudato sum, here it's laudato sim. And this is, again, the same for all conjugations. You take the fourth principal part of the verb and you join it with sim sis sit, simus sita sint. So that's your passive perfect subjunctive. And then finally, how to form the pluperfect subjunctives. Again, an easy rule for all conjugations. In the pluperfect active on your left column, you take your third principal part again, laudo, laudare, laudavi. Drop the I, laudav, add I-S-S-E, which happens to be the perfect infinitive ending. You don't know that yet, but that's, you'll learn that soon. So add the infix I-S-S-E, and to that you add the endings. That's true of any verb in any conjugation. You take the third principal part, drop the I, add the infix I-S-S-E, and to that add the ending. So we have laudavisem, laudavises, laudaviset, laudavisemus, laudavisetis, laudavisent. And that's the pluperfect active subjunctive. Very simple. The infix I-S-S-E plus your endings, M-S-T, M-U-S-T-I-S, and N-T. For the pluperfect passive, it's just what you would expect. We have the fourth principal part laudatus, and instead of eram, eras, erat, as the pluperfect uh, indicative uses, here we use the subjunctive, um, the imperfect tense of the verb to be in the subjunctive. And that is, take your infinitive, sum, esse, fui, esse, and add the endings, sm, ss, eset. So the combination of the fourth principal part plus the imperfect subjunctive tense of the verb to be, sm, ss, eset, esemus, esetus, esent. So you have laudatus sm, laudatus ss, and so on. So the formation again, any conjugation, take your fourth principal part, add the subjunctive imperfect of the verb to be, sm, ss, eset, essemus, essetis, essent, and there you have it. So on pages 378 and 379, you see how you form the remaining tenses of the subjunctive. We already knew the present subjunctive formation for all conjugations using the mnemonic device, we hear a liar friar. For the formation of the other three tenses, the imperfect, 
Go to your second principal part, which is your infinitive. Add the active or passive endings. For the perfect subjunctive, take the in for the active, you take the infix E-R-I after the third principal part and add M-S-T and so on. In the passive, your fourth principal part, laudatus, plus the verb to be in the subjunctive, sim, sis, sit, sima, sita, sint, instead of sum, ss. For the pluperfect, the infix isse, laud, third principal part, plus isse, plus the ending, lauda visem. In the passive, fourth principal part, plus the imperfect subjunctive of the verb to be sm, ss, eset, esemus, esetus, sn. So you have on pages 378, 379, the conjugation of the subjunctive in the first conjugation. There it is, uh, all four tenses of the subjunctive. If you want to check out uh, what it's like for the second conjugation, you can turn over to page 381 and so on and so forth. 383 shows you the third conjugation and so on. You have all of those verbs written out in their entirety in your appendix back here, the morphology section. The formation of the, of the subjunctive tenses, as I said, is really quite simple, much easier than the indicative formation of the verbs. Um, so here you have it. And going back now to unit 22 in the Collins book, we're on page 183. He presents in this particular chapter just the imperfect subjunctive. You will get later on in Collins the other two tenses that he doesn't present here, but now we've done them all so you know them, you know what to expect. In this particular unit, he will concentrate just on the imperfect and some other uses. Okay, so that's, that is the formation of all the tenses of the subjunctive, both active and passive voice. Um, now, speaking uh, of those various tenses, so far in the last couple chapters, we've learned some independent uses of the subjunctive. You remember the hortatory subjunctive, the justice subjunctive, the, the, uh, the subjunctive, optative subjunctive of wish, and so on. We've learned those independent uses. But as we said right at the, uh, at the outset when we started learning about subjunctive, the bulk and the majority of uses of the subjunctive mood in Latin occur in subordinate clauses. Um, we've had one uh, such subordinate clause when we learned the future less vivid condition, but now we're going to be introduced successively uh, in successive units by Collins to several other uses of the subjunctive in subordinate clauses. Okay, and that's, as I said at the outset, the primary use of the subjunctive mood. Now, in order to know or to understand what uh, tense of the subjunctive, if we were composing in Latin and we were composing a compound sentence that had a main uh, clause with a subordinate clause, then we needed to use the subjunctive, we'd have to know what tense of the subjunctive to use. And when we're translating from Latin uh, into English, uh, we need to understand what the so-called sequence of tenses of those clauses is. 
So now we're going to talk about a concept in Latin called the sequence of tenses. And Collins touches on this or goes into rather good detail on pages 184 and 185. And um, the sequence of tense uh, is, is just what that phrase indicates. It's the sequence or the relationship of tenses in the subordinate clause to the main clause. And we always go from subordinate clause to the main clause. So without explaining yet the details of the system, take a look at the chart on page 185 toward the bottom there that Collins presents to you. This is very important, and you need to understand this chart and to have it in the back of your mind always. Whenever you're doing uh, any com uh, uh, complex sentences in Latin that require subjunctive tenses in the subordinate clauses. You will see on that chart, on the left-hand side, he has the heading independent clause. You can call that the independent clause. I like to call it the main clause. This is the main clause in the sentence. This is the main sentence, the main clause of the sentence. And then in the right-hand column, he has the subordinate clause. This is the clause that will typically be put in the subjunctive in Latin. Now, in the left-hand column, he has one and two. And under one, he, he lists what we call in grammar, Latin grammar, the primary tenses. These are the tenses uh, we, we, we group them, we call them primary. They are basically the tenses that are not past tenses, okay? So they are primary, they are present, future, and future perfect. I will repeat, present, future, and future perfect. Now, you notice that Collins presents also here the perfect, and in parentheses, he has completed. Um... If I were teaching you this on the whiteboard or the blackboard, I would not have even mentioned the perfect here because this is somewhat exceptional, though it does occur, and I will remind you of my discussion of this in the last unit when we talked about the so-called perfective and heuristic aspects of the perfect tense in Latin. Remember we talked about how Greek has two separate tenses, a perfect tense, which shows a past time which, be, which carries on into the present and is still going on. That's what he calls the completed perfective aspect. I call it the perfective aspect, okay? Um, and, then, and then in Greek, you have the aorist or a simple past action. We said that in Latin, remember we said that in Latin, the perfect tense in Latin does double duty for both those aspects. Now, in the vast majority of cases, when you see the perfect tense in Latin, it is a simple past action. But there are instances when it carries that perfective aspect, what Collins calls here the completed, and this is that aspect of the perfect we talked about it being inherent in the word nosco, to know, getting to know you. Once I have gotten to know you, I therefore know you. That's a perfective aspect. Um, we talked about 
uh, Archimedes sitting down in the tub of water. I have found it and I am still in the state of finding it. When the verb is used in that particular aspect, the perfect will be a primary tense. But almost always, the perfect is considered a past tense in Latin, a simple past. And you see uh, under two, the so-called secondary tenses. These are imperfect, perfect, and pluperfect. And notice he says perfect, simple. That's the perfect, the, the uh, heuristic aspect of the perfect, a one-time action. I fell down and I got up, okay? As opposed to, I have fallen and I can't get up. I'm still in the state of being fallen. That's the perfective aspect, okay? So, for the most part, Latin will use the perfect tense as a simple perfect or an heuristic aspect, and it will be considered a secondary tense. So one more time, the independent clause, that's the main clause. You have two groups of main clauses. Those that have verbs in the present, future, or future perfect, and occasionally the perfect. And then the secondary group, the secondary tenses, imperfect, perfect, or pluperfect. These are generally what we consider past. Okay, now moving on, that's the left-hand side of your chart, and that is the independent clause or the <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the main clause in the sentence. Now, the subordinate clauses, these will be the clauses that go in the subjunctive. Look at the top half of the chart, number one. You notice that you can use in your right-hand column either the present subjunctive or the perfect subjunctive. Well, how do we know? Well, look up under subordinate clause, and there in italics, he has contemporaneous slash subsequent and prior. Um, so there are two uh, categories in this, in this uh, column. If the subordinate verb, that is the verb in the uh, subordinate clause, the one that will be in the subjunctive, is, it is if its action is contemporaneous or same time, that's what same time means, or subsequent future time to the main verb, we always go subordinate clause to main verb, if its action is contemporaneous or subsequent to the main verb in the sentence, then we use the present subjunctive. If it's prior or time before the main verb, then we use the perfect subjunctive. Okay? So, in a sentence, a theoretical sense that has a primary tense in its main clause, that's present, future, future perfect. If the subordinate verb is the same time or after, contemporaneous or subsequent, to the time of the main verb, it goes in the present subjunctive. If it's prior time to the main verb or before the main verb, it goes in the perfect subjunctive. Then move down to the second half of your chart, the secondary tenses. If the main verb in your uh, in the clause, in the, in the sentence, the independent clause, the main verb is in the imperfect, perfect, or pluperfect. That is a past tense. 
And the subordinate verb is contemporaneous or subsequent, that is, the same time or after the main verb, then you use the imperfect subjunctive. If it's prior time or time before the main verb, you use the pluperfect subjunctive. Now, I'm sure your head is swimming right now, but it need not be because this isn't as hard as it first sounds, and it's difficult in isolation, and you're sort of imagining what happens. Once we get into the particular sentences and clauses of examples, we will demonstrate the operation of this sequence of tense chart. This is what we call the sequence of tense chart. So one more time, we have primary tenses, which are present, future, future perfect. Very rarely the perfect, only when it's in the perfective aspect. And then secondary tenses, imperfect, perfect, or pluperfect, we call them past. Um, in each case, if we have a primary tense, drop the bottom half of the chart off in your mind, and you know that the subjunctive and the subordinate clause is either going to be present or perfect, depending upon its time relationship to the main verb. If you have a past tense, drop off, remove the top half of the chart, and you've now, you now see that you only have two possibilities of the subjunctive, either the imperfect subjunctive or the pluperfect subjunctive. Imperfect if the subordinate verb is contemporaneous or subsequent to the main verb, or pluperfect subjunctive if the subordinate verb is prior to the main verb. As I say, this chart is extremely important, but we will see it, uh, once we see it in action with uh, actual uh, Latin sentences, uh, you will be able to see what we're talking about, and I will carefully, carefully, and repeatedly point out the sequence of tense in these, in these clauses and, and sentences. So, that's the sequence of tense chart. You need to know that. Now, in this remaining part of the unit, Collins presents us with a few uses of uh, subordinate clauses that take the subjunctive mood. The first example that he gives us is on page 186. And these are purpose clauses. Um, purpose clauses are uh, quite simple. In English, we generally express purpose, uh, at least in colloquial speech, by using an infinitive. Let's think about it for a minute. I am going to the store to buy milk. I am going to the store to buy milk. You see, the purpose that, uh, for which I'm going to the store is expressed in the clause. I am going to the store to buy milk. In English, we say to buy. That is an infinitive. In Latin, especially in classical Latin, you would never use the infinitive to express purpose. Instead, you would use the particle ut, U-T, plus the subjunctive. Okay? And in a negative purpose clause, you would use the particle ne, ne, plus the subjunctive. Now, um, 
in ecclesiastical Latin, you will begin to see, depending on the author and so on, the use of the infinitive to show purpose. I am going to the store to buy milk. You can see sometimes that Latin will use an infinitive to show purpose. But the preferred way and the way of classical Latin is almost always to use ut or ne plus the subjunctive. Sometimes in classical poetry, you'll get away with, a, uh, with an infinitive. But almost always in classical Latin, the purpose clause is expressed with ut or the negative ne plus the subjunctive. Now, in English, we might say, I am going to the store in order to buy milk. We could say that. That's uh, sort of a periphrasis. I'm going to the store to buy milk. I'm going to the store in order to buy milk. In either case, we are expressing the purpose for which we're going to the store. That's what a purpose clause is in Latin. Now, Collins calls them adverbial purpose clauses, and uh, in, on page 187, relative purpose clauses. And we'll talk about the relative purpose clause in a second. Let's take a look at his example of a purpose clause in the middle of the page, in boldface. He gives you the example, Paulus in domum, and then he gives you uh, the examples of several tenses of verbs, primary sequence. Pa Paulus in domum intrat. What does that sentence mean? Paul enters into the house. Paul enters, comes into the house, and then we see a purpose clause. Ut patrum videat, in order to see Peter, in order that he might see Peter. Now notice, the ut clause, as we sometimes call it, is its own clause. It has a group of words with a subject and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an object. And we have videot. There we see the present subjunctive. And now if you think about your sequence of tense chart on the previous page, we have a primary sequence. So we're in the top part of the chart, the number one part of the chart. We see intrat is the main verb. Paul enters into the house. That's a present tense. So we're primary sequence. Now, think about the time sequence of these two clauses. The subordinate to the main always. Don't go from main to subordinate. It's the subordinate to the main. What is the time relationship of him seeing Peter to entering the house, right? So, Paul enters the house to see Peter. The seeing is subsequent, isn't it, to the main verb. It has to be, because if you think about it, a purpose clause always does something in the main clause to affect something after it. So, we have... We have a, um, a uh, contemporaneous or subsequent action. Here it's a subsequent. Paul enters the house so that subsequently he might see Peter, right? So if you look back on your chart, we're going to use the present subjunctive. And that's what we have, videot. We hear a liar friar, right? E-A. So Paul in domum intrat ut patrum videot. Paul enters into the house in order to see Peter. If we change it to the future tense, Paulus in domum intrabit, he will enter the house in order to see Peter. 
the time relationship still remains the same. In other words, purpose clauses are always going to be what we would call contemporaneous or subsequent action in the subordinate clause to the main verb. So we're going to use, depending on the main uh, clause tense, we're going to use the present or the, or the uh, imperfect subjunctive. So uh, if we skip down to intraverit, Paul will have entered the house in order to see Peter. Um, we still use the same subjunctive. Now, he, Collins, in, includes the intravit as that perfective aspect of the, uh, of the perfect tense. Paul has entered the house and is in that, in, in that condition in order that he might see Peter. Again, this usage is uh, not very common in Latin, so you won't see the perfect used there very often in Latin, but it does occur occasionally. Now, um, take a look at the secondary uh, sequence down near the bottom of the page. Now we take the same sentence, we change the main verbs to a, any particular past tense, and the sequence of tenses has to change also. The subjunctive will change now from a present to an imperfect subjunctive. Paulus in domum in trabat. Paul was entering the house in order to see Peter. Paul intravit, Paul entered the house in order to see Peter. Paulus in domum intraverat, Paul had entered the house in order to see Peter. And notice in all those cases, we still use the imperfect subjunctive because if you look back on your chart on page 185, we have uh, the imperfect subjunctive occurring uh, when the action is contemporaneous or subsequent to the main verb and the main verb is a secondary tense. So that chart won't lie to you, and when you see it in Latin, you will know what's going on. Now notice in, uh, in, in uh, each example there, uh, he appends a negative purpose clause. Look at the bottom of the page. Jesus in domum in trabat, ne a turba videretur. Jesus was entering into the house in order that he might not be seen by the crowd. Ne videretur, imperfect. If we change to the uh, primary sequence up above, we see Jesus in domum in travit. He has entered the house in the perfective aspect. He has entered the house and is still in it in order that he may not be seen by the crowd. Ne plus the subjunctive. So a purpose clause shows you the purpose uh, that is aimed at in the main clause. Its action will always be, for that reason, subsequent to the action in the main clause. Therefore, we're going to be using either the present or the imperfect subjunctive as the verb in that clause. And it shows the purpose. In English, as I said, you will, you will use generally, we generally use the infinitive. We could say, Jesus entered the house to see Peter. Uh, Paul entered the house to see Peter. Um, in Latin, almost always we want to use the ut or the ne plus the subjunctive rather than an infinitive. But in fact, an infinitive does sometimes occur, particularly in ecclesiastical Latin. And um, you can 
take a look at that on page 187, section 119, the infinitive of purpose. As in English, the infinitive, often followed by a main verb of motion, may be employed for the expression or aim, intention, or purpose. Paulus Romam venit Petrum videre. Paul came to Rome to see Peter. You may also use an ut and a subjunctive there, ut videre, in order to see Peter. And that would be the more technically correct and common way in Latin to express purpose. Okay, so that's, that, this is the, really the first major kind of subordinate clause that we've taught you, um, the purpose clause. Very important in Latin, very important in any language, a purpose clause. We, we express purpose constantly. And in Latin, it's ut or ne plus the subjunctive, and you use the subjunctive in accordance with the sequence of tense chart. Now, there's a subcategory of purpose clauses which are called relative clauses of purpose. And uh, Collins talks about these on the top of page 187. These are um, really the same as a purpose clause that uses ut or ne, but when you are talking about a person, who or whom, uh, with a purpose clause, and often, almost always, the main clause contains a verb of motion, then we can substitute a relative pronoun for the ut, okay? So, um, take a look and see how, what I'm talking about. Take a look at the examples. Paulus quatuor diaconos misit, qui petrum viderent. So the main sentence is, Paul sent four deacons. Now, in Latin, we could have simply put an ut there. Ut, petrum viderent, in order to see Peter. He, Paul sent four deacons to see Peter. Okay? Absolutely good Latin, absolutely acceptable, and you will see it many times that way. But as I say, with verbs, often with verbs of motion in the first uh, main clause, and when there is a person, uh, we can answer the question of who or to whom or whom in the, in the subordinate clause, we, we substitute for that ut a particular case of the relative clause, uh, relative pronoun, and we use the subjunctive. So technically, in this sentence, Paulus, Paul sent four deacons who might see Peter. Now, uh, we don't say that in English, but Latin will use that qui instead of the ut. That's all that's happening here. Don't get too nervous about it. It's not extremely common, much more common just to use the ut. I don't know exactly why Collins wants to push this here right now, but it's okay. It is a good Latin expression, and you will see it fairly often. So Paul sent the four deacons in order that they might see Peter or to see Peter. Literally in Latin it says Paul sent the four deacons who might see Peter. Um, and he says that, you know, you can use an ubi there. Paul sent the deacon to Rome where he might see Peter in order that he might see Peter. Uh, most commonly, though, 
with a, a relative clause of purpose, you use a relative pronoun and not uh, an ubi. Uh, so that's a, that's a, a development or an alteration of the purpose clause. It's still a purpose clause. Most of purpose clauses in Latin will be introduced by ut or ne. If it's a person involved, the verb of motion in the main clause, you might see a relative pronoun introducing a purpose clause. It won't, that won't phase you, I think, when you're translating because you will see that clause, you will see the subjunctive, you will notice what's happening. So the relative clause of purpose, a subcategory of purpose clauses in general, and purpose clauses, extremely important clause in Latin. We said that you can express purpose in Latin with an infinitive, but that's not the common or preferable way. Okay, so that's the first uh, major independent use of the subjunctive uh, that Collins uh, has uh, presented to us. Now, the second um, independent or, or dependent use of the subjunctive, the second major uh, category of clause that he introduces to you here is on the bottom of page 187 in section 120. And he calls these indirect commands or requests. In other Latin grammar books, you will sometimes see them called jussive noun clauses. Okay, jussive, remember, uh, giving an order, giving a request you, from the Latin word ubeo, ubere, usi, usus. Okay. So, just of noun clause or an indirect command. And th these are clauses that occur after verbs uh, that imply anything or mean anything like ordering, requesting, asking. Um, when you think about it, um, we call them noun clauses because the entire clause acts as a noun. Um, uh, so, for instance, I can say uh, in English, uh, I, I uh, ask you for money. I ask you, I beg money from you, right? I request money from you. I request uh, this book from the librarian. I request a, a verb of asking, right? Or you can have an entire clause which, in a sense, acts as the object. Rather than requesting a book, I request you to go to the store and buy some milk, right? So you have that entire clause. That's what's called a noun clause. And in Latin, we introduce such noun clauses with ut, okay, and the subjunctive, or ne in the subjunctive for a negative. And so be on the lookout when you have a main verb of ordering or asking and it's followed by a clause describing what you're ordering or asking. Um, that's a noun clause and it will be introduced by ut or ne plus the subjunctive. So let's take a look on page 188 of a couple examples. De precemur deum. Ut peccata nostra nobis dimitat. Let us beseech the Lord, or let us ask the Lord, de precamur, de precemur, here, uh, hortatory subjunctive, 
Let us ask the Lord or God, let us ask God, ut, that he dimitat, he dismiss or forgive our sins, pecata nostra nobis, in reference to us. So that's a little redundant. You don't really need the nobis there, but it's uh, certainly a nice uh, dative of reference. Let us beseech God to forgive. We would just say to forgive our sins. Let us ask God to forgive our sins. Again, in English, we often will use the infinitive. In Latin, it's much more common and more correct to use ut or ne. Take a look at the next one. Deum oramus ne deficiamus. We pray God, we beg God, nay, that we not fail, or lest we fail. We pray God that we not fail. Nay here plus the subjunctive uh, to show uh, what we're begging God. It's a it's a justive noun clause or a clause, an indirect command. We beg him. What do we beg him? We're not just begging him for alms or something. We're begging him that we not fail. The entire clause, in a sense, is the object of the begging or praying. Uh, here's uh, one that gives uh, an example of s sort of like ordering, uh, ordering or urging. Uh, Jesus, Jesus dixit apostolis, Jesus said to the apostles or told the apostles, ut panes colligerunt, colligerunt. Okay, Jesus told the apostles to collect the loaves. Jesus said to the apostles that they collect the loaves, literally. In other words, it's an indirect command, um, uh, and it's a noun clause. As he now points out uh, in the note, what I've been saying, it's a noun clause functioning as the direct object of the main verb. The purpose clause is adverbial in its, in its grammatical sense. Um, Right, because uh, the purpose clause uh, is answering uh, why I ask you to go to the store to buy milk. Right here, the noun clause is acting basically as the direct object of the main verb. We beg God not to fail. Jesus told the apostles to collect the bread. What did he tell them? He, we could say Jesus told the, the apostles a parable. That would be a direct object. Instead, we have an entire clause. Jesus told the apostles to collect bread. So um, that's what a noun clause, we sometimes call them just of noun clauses, or Collins likes to call them indirect commands or requests. The same idea. They are introduced by ut or ne plus the uh, typical or the uh, correct tense of the subjunctive according to sequence of tenses. And again, when you think about it, um, in, such, in such clauses uh, where we're giving a command, Jesus told the apostles to collect bread. That's going to be same time or subsequent time to the main verb. Therefore, we're going to be using the present or the imperfect subjunctive in accord with our sequence of tense chart back on page 185. Now, he points out there in the middle of page uh, 188, letter B, infinitive. An indirect command or request may take the form of an accusative plus an infinitive. Uh, this uh, often happens with the verb ubeo. Ubeo, uh, ubere, usius, remember the word we get justive from, uh, ordered. Diaconus usit populum orare. The deacon ordered the people to pray. 
And of course, that's, that's basically how we do it in English. Um, you could have also said, Diakonos Yusit Ut, he ordered that, the populus oraret, pray, that the people pray. <coughs> and you could have used ut plus the subjunctive as a just of noun clause or an indirect command clause. Um, with the verb ubeo, Latin tends to use uh, the accusative and infinitive structure, construction. But most indirect commands, most just of noun clauses, where the main verb is one of ordering, requesting, or asking, some such verb like that, you will see it followed by an entire clause introduced by ut or ne plus the subjunctive. So, that's a lot of stuff to digest for one unit, isn't it? Um, we started out, remember, I had you go to the uh, appendix and take a look at the morphology section, and uh, I wanted to present to you uh, the, the formation of all four tenses uh, in the subjunctive, which is quite a simple formation in Latin. Then we came back and we learned about um, the sequence of tenses and the sequence of tense chart. And um, it's very important that you uh, take a look and memorize that chart on page 185. Uh, remember, we're always checking subordinate clause sequence to main clause. And um, that, that chart will tell you what subjunctive will appear in subordinate clauses. Then we uh, finally were introduced to uh, a few of uh, the important clauses that take the subjunctive in Latin. The first one, the purpose clause, which is generally introduced by ut or ne. It can be a relative clause of purpose introduced by quique quod instead of ut or ne, but more commonly we see it as a purpose clause introduced by ut or ne, sometimes with verbs of motion in the main clause and um, someone acting in the relative clause, we will have qui, a form of qui, qui, quod, replace that ut or ne. Okay, so um, that's, a, that's a purpose clause in Latin, and it will uh, use the subjunctive. And because of its very nature, because a purpose uh, is expressed as uh, something that is subsequent to the main verb. Uh, I, I went to the store to buy milk. The buying of the milk is subsequent to uh, obviously going to the store. Therefore, we're going to be um, in that first column under subordinate clause on our sequence of tense chart, which means we will be using the present subjunctive if our main verb is primary and uh, imperfect subjunctive if our main verb is secondary. So we'll see uh, present or imperfect subjunctives uh, with purpose clauses. And then we talked about indirect commands or what I like to call just of noun clauses. These are clauses that act as a noun object of a verb requesting, asking, uh, and so on, urging. Uh, and these clauses will be introduced by ut or ne, and they will take the subjunctive. Again, 
because they are, uh, their action is going to be uh, contemporaneous or subsequent to the main verb, they will most commonly be uh, in the present or imperfect subjunctive. So those are two important uses of the subjunctive, each introduced by ut or ne, and um, using our sequence of tense chart. Now, um, all of this sounds rather confusing, and there's a lot of info there to digest, but I assure you that once you get into translating the actual sentences, they will rather uh, come uh, logically and easily to you when you look at the Latin. So we want to give you a lot of uh, exercise and uh, workout on these, so we're going to assign homework on pages uh, 190 and following. Um, one note on your vocabulary um, before you, uh, before you uh, go on, before we talk about our homework, is um, the verb dignor, dignari, dignatus sum, um, to consider worthwhile, to deign, to deem worthy. Um, notice on your vocabulary notes on page one, uh, nine, 189, he says, dinor, the denominative form dinus, uh, may take an object infinitive. Dinor romam videre. I consider it worthwhile, I deem it worthy to see Rome. Or an accusative and an ablative. Dinor petrum laude. I deem Peter worthy of praise. I consider Peter worthy of praise. And laude there in the ablative. So that's just a little bit of an idiomatic phrase. Dignor is an important verb, particularly we see it in prayers, in our Latin prayers. We see it uh, many, many times in the canon of the Mass. So uh, watch that verb because it's an important one. Now, let's go back uh, and take a look at what we're going to do for our homework exercises this week. Um, on page 190, 191, I'd like you to do uh, under drills under drills, uh, number one, Roman numeral number one, purpose clauses, do the first six of those short sentences. The first six uh, under drills number one. And under drills number two, indirect commands, do the first six. So the first six under Roman numeral one, the first six under Roman numeral two. Okay? Then for our normal exercises, Let's do the even-numbered sentences this week. The even-numbered, 2, 4, 6, 8, and so on. The even-numbered sentences for Unit 22 on pages 191, 192. And then for our readings, we have the confidior, the old style. Uh, we won't do that one. We will assume that most of you know that or can read it pretty easily. But let's do number two, the, uh, the reading from the Gospel of John, number two. And I think you'll recognize that passage also, but it's a nice passage for us to read and uh, end our work in this unit on. So I think we'll do number two under the readings. So one more time, drills, Roman numeral one, sentences one to six, drills two, Roman numeral number two, one to six. And then the exercises, even numbered, 2468, and so on. And then reading number two. 
um, as I said, a lot to uh, digest, um, but I think once you dive into the sentences and start translating them, you will see uh, how this subjunctive works and how the sequence of tenses operates. And I will be sure in our uh, midweek uh, review of exercises to be very specific, pointing out to you the operation of the sequence of tense and the various tenses of the subjunctive uh, in, all, in all examples. So uh, with that, I wish you uh, the best of luck in this, uh, in this unit. Uh, things are getting complicated, but I can assure you, uh, if you're sticking with it, you're doing well, and um, there really isn't much more uh, uh, grammar that's uh, of any greater difficulty than what we've already covered. So uh, you're well on your way to being able to read Latin, uh, and that's quite an accomplishment. So with that bit of encouragement, I will leave you, and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, sometime midweek. Uh, take care, God bless, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Until next time, Jim May saying uh, take care, goodbye.